Welcome to the 5G Techvitory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. I'm a telecommunication security expert. Basically, I joined the dark side last year, so I became a consultant, basically a brain for hire. Um, and actually, how I found 5G Tech Retory was last year through the, through the recordings of the 5G Tech Retory. And I thought, hey, that's a cool event. Actually, people know what they are talking about, so I need to be there. So, and here I am. So, that's how things go. So. And now we live in a world that changes. We see ships get stuck in channels, supply chain disruptions. We see cables that break for whatever reasons. We see denial of service attacks on governmental websites, services. We see floods, we see storms and things like that. And on the other hand, we see that we hook up our own, our own lives and everything to 5G communication. So we use 5G for banking, for finding our pass in the city, the nearest coffee shop, whatever. So, and that means, or even if you enter a bus, I noticed here in the buses, you have these little USB slots to charge your phone in the bus so that you can pay actually the ticket. So we are dependent on 5G. And on the other hand, we live in a world where the risks become greater. And we need to think about what can we do when disaster strikes. And the best thing is to think about it before things happen and not afterwards. So in this panel, I think I have an excellent panel here because 5G, as you probably figured out, it has many, it uses many different technologies and it has many connection points to other things, which also means every connection point is an open door for an attacker. So, and here in this panel, I have people from all corners of the network, I would call that. <laughs> so, let me introduce my panel and maybe I start here with Olaf Heisch. He's director at Target Account Management for Infrastructure. Maybe you can introduce yourself briefly. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, so, uh, I'm Olaf and uh, I'm with Rode und Schwarz since 12 years. Before that, uh, Nokia networks and uh, Siemens networks developing all the stuff from 2G up to 5G. Uh, but in the same way, from Rode und Schwarz perspective, uh, we can see on, on how the world is moving. And uh, that's the reason why we started to define a new market segment, so-called critical infrastructure and networks, including all those aspects of uh, public safety, critical networks, mission critical and so on. And uh, this covers, for example, different flavors. So whether talking about not only the cellular business, or let's say the cellular market, in the same way air traffic control and so on, uh, we can see a lot of stuff in this direction for yeah, unmanned uh, drone uh, applications and so on, these things. But the entire part of, uh, of 5G, MNT mobile network testing as well from the early beginning when it comes to the network planning, mm. the rollout. We talked a lot about site installation. We, we mentioned yesterday, for example, the situation in Ukraine, about 4,000, 5,000 base stations destroyed and so on. So we have to think about that and yeah, how to cope with it, how to support these things along the line. And that's uh, what we are looking for. Yeah. I think Rodo and Schwarz is really a sort of well-known factor when it comes to radios. <laughs> and radio measurements and things like that. I mean, you are a business of 
ages. I remember when so starting my studies long, long, long ago. 90 so, years, right? <laughs> in the 90s, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, but that's radio. So I'm very happy that we covered that. So, and then we have, of course, um, Palo Alto Networks. You are also famous, but in another corner sort of the network. So, Pietro Linke, maybe you can introduce yourself. Thank you. I'm one of the mobility consultants, uh, mobile network security consultants at Palo Alto Networks. I work in a service provider overlay over the local team. We had Edgars and uh, Dijos uh, over here. Um, I have a strong, let's say, telecommunication background and also IT security. I left it because the 3G was boring. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I basically joined the IT security forces out there um, to work on financial institutions um, and so on and so on. Um, and then I came, uh, came back to the business when the 5G was a big thing uh, to come, basically. So um, Palo Alto was looking for someone who would know both security and mobility. And now for the last six years uh, at Palo Alto, I'm mostly working with network equipment providers um, like the Nokia's and Ericsson's of the world and the smaller ones um, on basically embedding our products into their blueprints and also customers globally. Um, so whenever there is a customer who's mm, basically trying to have a second opinion on the proposed architectures and um, then they basically invite us. Okay, that's very interesting to see. Just a side question, are you also doing sort of private network businesses? So dealing with private network customers? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. both. It's, okay. it's service providers and the enterprises. Okay. Um, it depends. So when they own the spectrum, um, then some of them, yeah, they, they, they are capable of deploying their own 5G network, private 5G network. Okay. But um, if they are not, then they are basically uh, just um, buying uh, connectivity as a service from service providers. And then it is the service provider who's managing the private 5G okay. on behalf of the customer. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Then we have Piet Peter Ivanov from Google. And as many people here may know, Google is uh, basically the cloud provider for major network vendors for the radio access network. So a very important cornerstone in the 5G ecosystem. And we have here the Peter is the CEO of Key Account Engagement Manager, so maybe you can introduce yourself. Thank you, Silke. Uh, actually, you, you uh, was talking about the different corners, uh, and I'm sitting on the center. So that's, <laughs> what, that's, that's what uh, Google Cloud actually is doing. Uh, people uh, need to understand that 5G is one of the technologies for access. Uh, but uh, behind that, there is a uh, data centers and uh, where all of this uh, information is managed. So uh, I'm responsible for the key customers, uh, among them many telcos uh, in Central Eastern Europe. Uh, what is uh, interesting uh, to share with, uh, uh, with all of you that now with uh, AI coming, the things are becoming even more interesting on the core, let me put it that way. So thank you very much to, to allow me to be part of this panel. Thanks a lot. So, and then we have Matthias Gerlich from Frequentis. He's expert and senior business development manager and is basically representing also the critical customers, which ask the nasty requirements to all the other panelists here. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Um, Frequentis, first of all, it's a company we are in the 
uh, mission critical sector. So what we are serving is clients like in the public transport, um, air defense, public safety, but also in a market called ATM, air traffic management and air traffic control, um, which is a very sensitive market, as you can imagine. Bring in you guys, bring in your families, your loved ones from one gate to another gate over the air in a tube. Um, is a very conservative market. So when you look into the, let's say, the commercial market today uh, and technologies that are there already, um, it's not that our markets, the ATM markets, do not understand these technologies, but due to the fact that we're dealing in a very critical environment, we are looking what's going on in these markets. We are opening up certain infrastructures now but still, if things are working very nicely, um, guiding an aircraft from the gate over the taxi process to the runway starting landing and en route, it's difficult to convince the regulators, the customers, that's the air navigation service providers, to jump on new technologies. Nothing the less, we need to do that. Um, there's requirements for higher data rates, for new applications, and that brings a lot of challenges with it. And yeah, these are the things that we try to consult, mm -hmm. help the customers to get ready for these new things in the future. Okay, thanks a lot. I think this legacy aspect is a very important one, yeah. sort of how to integrate and have a proper evolution path. I think we also heard in the previous panel on the challenges with regard to conservative customers. And there were gloves, I think, were suggested there. I'm not sure that this is the right approach, but uh, yeah, but evolution <coughs> paths and legacy technology is very important also from a security point of view. And now we have the next uh, panel member, that's Roland Kaur from INEA. He's Vice President and Head of Government Relationships. Mm -hmm. And he probably can tell us later on a lot about real attack scenarios that are <laughs> ongoing every day. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be glad to see that. Thank you. And actually to echo your last point on, um, on the importance of legacy security issues, uh, that's something I wish to highlight as something that uh, we can't lose sight of, even as we grapple with everything that's new uh, in, the, in the 5G world. Um, my company, Aenea, is a specialist software provider for telecom and cybersecurity, and amid a range uh, of solutions from traffic and data management and Wi-Fi um, to cybersecurity. On the security side, uh, we deal with threats involving uh, messaging and uh, voice-related scams, submission and vision, to uh, state-level threats, ranging from espionage to other cyber surveillance threats and targeting. Um, and it's uh, the work of our threat intelligence unit that I'll be speaking to today and insights from that work that I'm actually delighted to share uh, as part of this um, conversation today. Thanks a lot, which brings me basically to the first point of this panel. And the thing is, sort of, okay, disaster strikes. And the first thing, if a disaster strikes, is to figure it out. So something is happening. and. We have here basically all the corners, including the middle of the network. <laughs> so let me ask you sort of what kind of threats and unexpected events do you have in your area? So, so maybe just start here. So we don't need to take a proper order or anything. So but let's just start here. So what kind of things do you detect? Uh, what are specific things you see and or have experienced in your career sort of? What kind of disruptions and things like that? 
So I think from an RF perspective, I think we are very, very clear keen in terms of the radio KPIs uh, regarding, let's say, the, the link budget situation down to the field and from the field up to the base station, whatever it is, for example, air traffic control base station or maybe uh, yeah, base station for 5G. And uh, I think we know about, uh, let's say, the complete list of KPIs for the, for the radio layer. And uh, what makes uh, Rodon Schwarz very, very powerful to that is uh, we are able to, let's say, to receive the signal, to detect mm -hmm. the signal in different flavors. And uh, we are absolutely able to, to decode the signal, which allows us to interpret what's, what's going on there outside. Um, that's what we can guarantee, for example, in real time. Mm -hmm. And for example, having detected the signals, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, in different flavors, uh, we can localize the signals, we can interpret the signals according to the 3GPP specification or maybe some other specification, as we know. And we can give a kind of interpretation, recommendation to whomever and so on, saying, um, the countermeasures could be like this, mm -hmm. A, B, C, and so on. I think that's a, uh, that's a very, very clear principle on the radio side and uh, in connection to the backbone by having specific, let's say, analytics tools in place in addition. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's very powerful from a real end-to-end -end perspective and in terms of, let's say, disasters or let's say when disaster strikes mm -hmm. and so on to find out anomaly detections and these things so as a very, very clear predictive measures. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see. Uh, do you think that 5G, the um, technologies in that era need to be fine-tuned? Because, for example, 5G is much more susceptible, for example, if you have winter and you have snow, for example, mm -hmm. or you have the trees with leaves, then this changes actually the radio sort mm -hmm. of, and the previous generation weren't so susceptible to these kind of mm -hmm. things. So, uh, so you evolve also with these kind of, let's say, challenges. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, for us a very, very important uh, topic, very, very clear is the base station itself, mm. on the roof of the building or wherever and so on. And you are right, wind load and so on, these things around and uh, so everything can be very, very critical. We are talking about a new generation of base station, including, let's say, the, the active antenna beam forming and mm -hmm. so on. The complexity in front of the, let's say, uh, in front of the base station is much more. And another aspect, Former times, we had a very, very clear situation for disasters and so on. We have had a kind of connectivity, mm -hmm. a connectivity to the base station or maybe to the now other nodes. Right now, we have to guarantee all those things over the air. Mm -hmm. okay. And over the air, let's say, uh, test the measurement concepts in this sense uh, are, let's say, much more complex. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we have to face this fact. And uh, we have to be able to dig very, very deep into the technical details in order to guarantee a kind of countermeasure, mm -mm. Or for example, to detect yeah, the error, whatever. Okay, thanks. That's, I think that's very important, especially for this kind of natural events. But let's go now, Mara, sort of to the... Um to basically GTP, sort of, or let's say user plane and things like that, because a lot of things are happening there, especially now that we have a lot of IoT devices, not just sort of normal subscription. So I think, I'm not sure sort of how the ratio is between normal subscription and IoT description nowadays, but I think everybody agrees that these IoT descriptions are sort of going up. <laughs> so what can you tell us there? <laughs> yes, so um, we are mostly focused on cybersecurity threats, okay, and we are First of all, looking into, just like you said, the user plane. 
okay, we are just looking into what's coming from the radio towards the core network. Um, by placing security products over there, we are able to basically identify in real time the subscriber mm. ID. Just a short interruption for those people who don't know. Telco networks they have two planes. One is a user plane, which is basically if you browse and data and so on, and they have a control plane, which gives you an IP address, sets up a call and so on. And we are just talking now about the user plane. So, yeah, sorry. Um, most service providers, they just encrypt the user plane as soon as possible and then they just send it intact to the customers. And some, some, without a proper inspection, because the encryption is basically blocking the inspection, you have to decrypt, inspect, and uh, either send it encrypted as it was or encrypt it again. It takes time. It's introducing delays. Um, but basically the, the inspection um, is able to help with um, identifying precisely in real time which device uh, basically send the malicious traffic, okay? Mm -hmm. Which device is trying to basically send the signaling storm, for example, from uh, um, on the signaling plane, okay? Uh, which, which device is basically um, maybe participating in a botnet, is doing some sort of a DDoS, it is trying to download the malware, it is uh, generating a malicious DNS uh, request um, to resolve something, um, and so on and so on. Um, so, to react basically, because the OT, um, mm. IoT connected devices for a mobile service provider, they are a threat. Because there's a couple of them, if they start generating traffic and there is some sort of a small, undersized, maybe uh, a radio station, they can take out basically the network. So you see the risk those. that there might be sort of a sleeping botnet which then suddenly wakes up and causes damage to the network. Yes, so it starts with the network, but uh, if let's say the network can handle this, then it can go farther, okay? Uh, like mobile devices can be used, like you said in the beginning, to basically DDoS some government websites because um, people don't like certain regulations maybe, or organizations. Okay, so that's a, um, according to us, it's a best place to basically stop those threats, okay, to, uh, to monitor and, and, and basically stop them, and also notify and act, somehow remediate. But I think we're gonna go to that part later. Um, we are also working with public cloud vendors, like, uh, like Pets Company, uh, more and more service providers, they are moving basically uh, from the local telco clouds and they are adopting uh, platforms like, uh, for example, from Google um, and then they are just uh, like tenants. They are basically putting uh, 5G workloads over there. So then the security uh, landscape changes a little bit and then you need to basically make sure that everything is, um, let's say, in line with expectations when it comes to the platform, and then you need to secure the workloads as well. Then there is also um, the question of split responsibility, right? Because now you have someone who's managing a platform, you have someone who's responsible for the network functions, you have someone who's responsible for security, and then um, if it's like a vanilla deployment from a single vendor, it's, it's much easier. Mm -hmm. But if you have a Frankenstein in the cloud, basically, each network <laughs> function comes from a different vendor, then the split responsibility, well, it's a challenge, yeah. I, I yeah. know it is supposed to be shared, but I call it split. Um, you have a split responsibility, then 
um, security becomes a very important factor. Mm. I think responsibility is a very important factor. Uh, this responsibility split also because the ecosystem is now much com more complex. With Open Run, which splits up the uh, radio access network further, it's even more important because you might have even more parties in the stew. And I think one important cornerstone will be the cloud. And I just heard this morning from an incident, for example, where there was an an earthquake, then a fire broke out, and then sort of because it was uh, um, on-site cloud, then there were some issues. So maybe, Peter, you can tell us something about um, what, how do you mitigate these kind of, um, or what kind of things do you see with regard to how to secure the underlying cloud so that the 5G that runs on top of it really is resilient to let's say these kind of physical events like floodings, fires, earthquakes, whatever. So we have been talking about the edge, now we're going to talk about the core because 25% of the traffic of the internet going to our data centers. That's the reality and our responsibility is even higher. And with the 5G and internet of things, all of this information coming from the sensor, the, inf the amount of information has been increased. Uh, we have a billions of users just to give you an example, per day uh, we are trying to protect 400 uh, million Android devices. And uh, our responsibility for the Gmail is even higher. Uh, I'm not talking about the YouTube and everything, what is going on. But because we are here talking about the 5G, uh, I would like to say that we are building our security, it's built in. We are working only with the trust vendors, we have a special encryption. We divide information on chunks. Those uh, chunks have a keys. Mm. We encrypt the keys as well. Uh, so all of this process is mm. very, very robust. But what kind of threats do you actually see? What kind of oh, disasters do you see? I, I can so. tell you, just uh, when I saw the name of our panel, I was thinking that I'm watching the news on the CNN on BBC those days, unfortunately. Uh, and I am not joking. So you need to know that uh, everything was started about a year ago, what we have here in Eastern Europe. Um, increase of the attack from 8% average went to the level of 22, 23, even 25%. Okay, that's quite a And big, yeah. that's a quite significant. Uh, we are working uh, with the governments uh, to having with them a common cybersecurity uh, strategy. We call this CyberShield where we have a couple of products which are helping the government to protect themselves. Because many people uh, understand cybersecurity like uh, you hire some smart people and they protect you. Actually, it is not true. The reality is that you need to exchange information. What you need to do, uh, you need to analyze that information. You need to analyze your network for vulnerability. And based on all of that information, using the uh, AI, making the prediction of the next attack, or eventually trying to find the weak places. Uh, so you suggest basically AI as a way to detect um, incidents. And I think one of the major problems is that security very often is the people are flooded by false positives. And you suggest that AI could be potentially one way to assist these. Uh, I, I don't uh, suggest to, particular... To out the sort of real disaster from a sort of false positive. So let me tell you, uh, I believe that AI now is a buzzword. People are using it for whatever. 
but there is some uh, some very uh, difficult uh, um, informational challenges, and cybersecurity is one of them where this is quite applicable. Uh, because, as I said, exchange the information between the governments, between the agencies, with cybersecurity operational centers is even more important mm -hmm. to know the nature of attacks, to know from which IP addresses they're coming. Uh, this is exchange of information. Communication should go. Uh, and that's the uh, most important thing on the cybersecurity. Many people think that you need to hire some hacker to help you to fight against another hacker. This is a very simplistic way. Uh, it is in integral process which you really need to manage together. And uh, cooperation is a key word. Mm -hmm. That's all mm -hmm. on my side. Okay. Thanks a lot. So, and then we come to frequent. What kind of security requirements do you have? I mean, for you, you see other kinds of incidents and events and probably your colleagues here on the floor. And on the other hand, you're a critical supplier in the sense for many with the new EU NIST II directive. Uh, you are a supplier to uh, airports and things like that, which are all critical entities, which means they are very sensitive customers. So they have a quite a high expectations probably when it comes to security. So what kind of events do you see or anticipate where you, where you would say, yeah, this would, should be done by the network? Because, I mean, airport providers, they don't care too much about sort of if they use 4G, 5G or whatever, or Wi-Fi. They just want to sort of have a secure network. So, so. Yeah, I mean, for us, and, and, and that's a little bit not unique in the industry, um, but it's, we, we are relying on a lot of different technologies. Um, when, when we talk about air traffic management, we are not, you know, saying, you know, this is um, Latvia, this is Poland, this is Germany, so everything needs to go hand in hand. At the moment, we have about worldwide 36,000 flights in the air. They all need to be coordinated. That means when an aircraft leaves today here, later I'm flying back to Munich, the gate needs to be ready, the route needs to be ready, it needs to be safe. That means we need separation in the air, I need a flight level, it requires a lot of communication and coordination. And therefore, we cannot rely on a single technology because we're flying also into Africa. Yeah. That means so, reliability is one Reliability, key, key reliability. Key. And in a lot of these countries, we're talking a lot of times about, you know, Europe and Central Europe and maybe North Africa, North America and parts of Asia where we have a kind of perfect infrastructure. But for us, we're serving clients all, all the way down to South Africa, all the way to Australia, all the way to South America, where we need not only cable, because they're not in place, we need satellite communications, mm -mm. Um, where we're facing attacks from jammers. Yeah, for example, they're interfering with the signal on the satellite, um, which would not bring any communication back to the controller then. And in the event that the controller is not able to talk to the pilot anymore, that's a big problem. We need to increase separation. In the worst event, we would even have to do, put all the aircrafts down or fly alternative routes. So that said, there is a lot of uh, different technologies in place. Mm -hmm. But funny enough, we face a lot of more, more things like theft. Um, as, as you know from Rode and Schwarz, these radio repeaters, as we're using them today, they're at strategical, very important locations. For example, on a mountaintop. 
where you don't get a cable, where you don't get a, a satellite communication in the worst case. Um, sometimes, and then we have to put UPSs, diesel generators there. Um, and in parts of the world, diesel at the moment is very appealing to people to break in and steal the diesel. So it's, it's a complete different set of, of requirements, but of course also the cybersecurity part and what is appealing to us then is if we have providers in place that have a global coverage, that means if an attack is happening today in Asia, I can inform my clients already in South America, be cautious and be ready that something is happening and in the worst event we can already put new software in place and so forth and that's another topic for us that um, software updates, changing of software is not possible in my area that often because mm. when we have to interrupt, air traffic needs to stop. Uh, yeah. And that brings a lot of challenges to the whole thing with updating and new software and so forth. So it's a lot of different technologies and a lot of different problems that come with these incidents, yeah? mm -hmm. if it's bad weather and so forth. And yeah, but it's interesting to see sort of your, because you have a very specific requirement, but they are sort of, on the other hand, I heard, for example, that for the tsunami warning, sort of this kind of public warning system, one of the key challenges was actually that also there's the sensors and the power generation for those tsunami warning were just stolen and need to be replaced. So Yeah, just a quick example, yeah. when in the, in the Caribbean, the, the hurricane strike and everything is flooded, the airport was down. And as long as the airport communication is not re-established, aircrafts cannot fly in and bring goods to the people like water and so forth, what they need. So we need systems that we can re-establish fairly quick. We spoke to large telco providers. It took them weeks to get their communication back up again. And then we established uh, BSAT satellite systems to set them up really quickly with communication systems so the aircraft could talk again to the controller on the ground and then also the aircrafts yeah, coming yeah. in to, for the support could land so, again, yeah. so basically through cooperation could be sort Absolutely. of one way with partner operators, with governments or sort of other ways exactly. sort of to, to mitigate and ensure these kind of reliance aspects. Exactly. So, but on the threat intelligence is also maybe Roland can tell us something about that section. Sure, absolutely. Um, and actually for, for context, I think I should say first that um, uh, the area of security risk um, from Aeneas vantage point is probably the most neglected corner of cybersecurity, uh, historically speaking. And yes, it's systemically important, and indeed it's been mentioned on the stage already, which is mobile signaling uh, security uh, and the range of threats that, that, uh, and impacts there uh, go from fraud, as I mentioned, to other state-level threats involving uh, cyber surveillance and targeting. Um, and the impacts can be large-scale and disruptive. Some of those that people would be familiar with based on uh, numerous media reports in recent years are so-called signaling storms. Uh, these uh, commonly attributed to benign or let's say uh, non-malicious uh, causes. But what's really important to recognize when it comes to mobile signaling security is that as a totality, it is arguably uh, uh, an area of unexpected threat event insofar as it has been a gap in many cybersecurity frameworks um, historically and still is so today. Um, a gap in capability and coverage for mobile operators and therefore absent from the competencies of national certs, therefore absent from uh, national threat pictures. Now, there are a number of reasons as to how we got there, but for today's discussion, the point is that's where we are and it is changing, however. Um, there, there are, there's greater recognition 
of the importance of integrating mobile signaling security uh, in an aligned way into a more coherent, more comprehensive, uh, broader approach to cyber resilience and indeed um, national uh, cyber security, vividly demonstrated by U the defense of Ukraine against Russia, uh, the Russian invasion, and the measures undertaken by Ukrainian operators and their approach to cybersecurity, but not only uh, on the battlefield in Ukraine, but other countries as well. And I can actually sum or illustrate uh, the kind of threat by making reference to an example of a, of a very mature regulatory framework and approach, which is the UK's uh, to, and, and their new Telecom Security Act, in which uh, the, one of the clear objectives is about preventing unauthorised access, interference uh, or exploitation of mobile network services or data. That sums uh, really uh, the kind of impacts that are possible over mobile signaling. Um, and even in the uh, analysis released up to, leading up to uh, the, the new act um, released by the NCSE, the most simple but profound language highlighting uh, that uh, and even explaining that mobile signaling threats need to be viewed in the same way that we're with the conventionally familiar threats such as malicious IP traffic. Because to attackers, they don't care about protocols, they care about access. And from their point of view, this is another tool that they can use. Um, as to the impacts that we see, I, I mentioned um, uh, these can be large-scale unexpected events uh, and can be disruptive, such as signaling storms for non-malicious uh, reasons. These are typically triggered by an unexpected network error, results in cascading effects, and then a, a spike in signaling, overloading the control plane. Uh, these, this area has been uh, mentioned already on the stage. But a lot of research has shown that, uh, and even in 5G, new as it is, that there are many ways attackers can induce uh, effectively a distributed denial of service uh, by overloading the control plane uh, in 5G. And you mentioned um, a sleeping botnet a moment ago, uh, Silke. Uh, researchers pointed to how attackers can effectively create botnets by compromising devices and then manipulating those to generate the spikes in signaling, for example. But actually what I'd like to really like to draw attention today is uh, the non-disruptive impacts that, that can be achieved over signaling uh, by attackers that are relevant to this discussion because they're not only uh, large in scale, but they have societal impacts. And in uh, further context, uh, so in here we provide uh, mobile signaling protection to operators and to uh, and, uh, associated services to government customers as well, national cyber securities uh, worldwide. And we have global um, deployments in many markets. And what that's given us is a window onto uh, the a global threat landscape, which is really important to signaling because we quickly realized as our coverage grew that attackers that have won the access and the tools and to the competence and the expertise uh, to exploit signaling engage in global operations. And I don't just mean attacks in many countries, I mean global campaigns. And that's particularly important in Stillian today, as we sit here, in respect of legacy uh, protocols. Um, and, uh, the, uh, and the ability for attackers to um, uh, exploit signaling is obviously, uh, this is a, it's vitally important not to lose uh, sight of that, even in the context of legacy protocols, uh, as we deal with everything that attaches uh, to, to 5G and the signaling challenges that are already mm -hmm. identified there. Yeah, I think there are diff different kind of attack possibilities or disruption possibilities. One is, of course, mm -hmm. the obvious, it's a denial of service through the, mm -hmm. on the signaling plane, of course, and the other are sort of a bit more subtle, but they might have still quite some Im societal impact in the sense of location tracking of military yes. personnel or data uh, data traffic rerouting mm -hmm. and things like that. So they usually don't break in networks and so yeah. they're a bit more subtle, but the impact might be still sort of from a, for a society point, which mm -hmm. tries to defend itself or something, quite severe. So 
So, but and there also sort of preparation and reaction is the important point. Mm -hmm. So, which brings me to the next uh, area, sort of how can we react? What kind of things can we do in advance to improve the resilience of networks against whatever kind of attacks? I mean, each of us has a different expertise area, sort of maybe just throw it in here, sort of um, what can we do actually, sort of now we know what's going to hit us or most likely to hit us. There's always something we won't know which will come from there. Um, what can we do, sort of? <laughs> Just the floor open here, sort of, whoever wants to start. <laughs> so I think what, what, what we have seen here right now, so uh, there are different threats and let's say different kind of reactions we mm -hmm. have to guarantee. And I think, for example, talking about the, the disaster and recovery plan and so on, in my opinion, we are talking about the, the full stuff of backholding, right? In terms of the IP backbone stuff in the same way, then for example, things like public safety and uh, very, very clear critical mission or mission critical stuff and mm -hmm. so on. So I think there must be a plan in place, a very, very clear recovery plan in place, knowing about the different situations and so on, how to cope with and how to react and do it immediately. Mm -hmm. So I think from a different <coughs> angle, there are different solutions in place, but they're talking about the cloud solution or for example, uh, from you, from us, uh, things like mobile in terms of air traffic control and so on. Mm -hmm. In the same way, I think uh, for, uh, for public yeah, authorities and so on, the regulators locally. So there's a bunch of people involved to everything. Mm -hmm. to that. You mentioned, for example, the tsunami or for example, earthquake situation and so on. So, so, so how, to, yeah, how to give pressure exactly on these things to resolve the problem and uh, um, yeah, how to manage the people in the right way with the different kind of technologies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, uh, that's what we are looking for, what we can see so far and so on. And I think it's not only a question of one person, of one party along the line of yeah. supply chain, whatever. I think it's a very, very clear collaboration and you have to train this. Mm. So how do you see in general sort of potentially, let's say, satellites for, let's say, if good cable breaks, sort of how do you see the role of the satellite? Because I, we see it nowadays in Ukraine, we see it also sort of, for example, I know Taiwan is sort of quite looking at satellite communication as a, let's say, plan B. And so how do you feel that satellite communication, which role it's going to play in the future? So, so any views there? I mean, I mean from, from my point of view, I mean, you have to look into the constellations and that would now get very um, technical, I would say. But we have geostationary systems and we have low orbit systems. They serve different purposes. They have different coverage and they have different throughputs. So there's a couple of things what determines which is the right, the right system. Um, for us today, we're using um, so-called geostationary systems normally for the main applications because they are very reliable. Um, they ensure throughputs, but most of all, they have the highest availability, which is key for us. The throughputs, they're a little bit less, but knowing in our industry, the throughputs that we require today, they are not so high, but will grow in the future. Yeah? So in, 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 in the defense field, and especially when um, talking not just about air defense, mm -hmm. um, it might be different. They use different frequency bands again, like X-band and uh, KA-band, that's a um, protected band again. So yes, it will be a play and role, and for us, and that was where your question mm -hmm. started, I think, um, how, how to be ready for such attacks. What is happening and what we are doing is we're using a lot of different technologies. 
So we are not relying on terrestrial, on so cable. So basically having a lot of plants be in Exactly. Place. There are satellite links, there is uh, microwave links, there could be 5G, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the type of communication. If it is a ground-ground, controller to controller, fine. Controller to aircraft, a little bit more tricky. Um, anyhow, we have a lot of different technologies and we're using um, mechanisms where we're um, checking on traffic pattern, mm -hmm. for example. And when we see there is a anomaly in the traffic, mm -hmm. we can, on a very granular way, reroute traffic to alternative passes and maybe even shut down then mm -hmm. certain passes. And that is, of course, one thing. And the start of all of it should be a risk analysis. Yeah. Yeah. I think defense can learn a lot from your experience. I think they will face very similar issues as you do. So they yeah, will yeah. also have a mix of technologies and possibilities. So, yeah. But one approach, for example, to deal with load is, uh, for example, if there's a botnet attacking or something, to increase basic, to solve this via virtualization. And how do you see that? So this is to both of you. <laughs> so. Uh, Unfortunately, we cannot change the technology, especially for our data centers, because <laughs> the speed of uh, the data that is coming and the amount of data and users mm. are enormous. So we're relying on the optical cables, mm. and uh, probably you probably know, maybe not, because this is uh, <clears throat> very important. All of our data centers, we own our optical cables. So we are one of the largest service providers mm -hmm. ourselves. And when we build it, uh, the data region, this is how we call it, it's always uh, have a structure of so-called triangle, where you have a replication and backup uh, together with the main data center. Geographically, they should be located on the distance, so when the natural disaster or another disaster is coming, you have them uh, not impacted, all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, this is... Uh, very, very normal for this industry, so uh, to rely on, on such a things. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, we have a very strict procedures how to do that, mm -hmm. which I'm not aware entirely, which is good, but matter of fact. And uh, that's what is happening in our world. Yeah. I think sort of one important aspect that was already mentioned several times, I think is the um, preparedness in terms of that very often, for example, with all, I think all of us got these SMS spamming attack at some point of time. And usually they start with one country and then they sort of add language libraries and then they go for the smaller countries. So I think threat intelligence and threat sharing is an important aspect in the sort of be prepared for various kinds of disasters coming from the, um, let's say, application layer mostly. So maybe on threat intelligence, threat sharing, how do you see these sort of um, Roland <laughs> exercise in, uh, in in Poland a couple of years ago, and uh, it was uh, each each vertical basically had to exercise that they are under attack, like banks uh, and then service providers, and it was quite interesting observation um, that actually the service provider guys they were the quickest with sharing threat intelligence data just because they know each other from some external trainings. So it's trust, basically. Yeah, and they were just picking up the phone and say, hey, listen, I think, you know, we found something in a router. There is some vulnerability. Have you spotted the same stuff? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Come on, let's call the vendor. <laughs> and, you know, it was all like a war game, okay? Uh, they were all playing, basically, but this was the most efficient way of basically dealing with the attack, right? Um, 
our company, uh, you know, we, we are seeing billions of malware samples a day, billions, okay? We are basically detonating them in sandboxing and we are analyzing because malware is not just about the file. It's, it's about everything that it does when it's executed, okay? What it is contacting, what it is downloading, what it is executing. Mm -hmm. And based on all this information from each malware sample, we are basically leveraging the AI and machine learning mm -hmm. to basically build threat intelligence data. And we constantly push them to our basically products deployed mm -hmm. at our customers. Okay, So the, yeah. the products, they become just like a control mechanism that is basically on site. But everything else is happening in the cloud, and then mm -hmm. there's the analytics, the machine learning, and basically we just keep pushing. I think that's a very important point for Europe, basically, to have a European <coughs> resilience. So, so, is that something? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, calls for greater and better intelligence sharing, threat in information sharing, uh, are always merited and are always important. Um, when it comes to mobile signaling, however, threat intelligence, there's actually a very important additional consideration, uh, which given the fact that it has been historically a neglected area of cybersecurity, as it, it wasn't included in any uh, approaches to cybersecurity, we can't presume that the capability to produce the intelligence is actually there in the first place, that there are the insights actually to be shared. So from our perspective, uh, and what we see globally is that the problem with threat insight and information sharing isn't one of propagation right now when it comes to mobile signaling threats, it's one of production. The capability needs to be there to actually generate these insights for operators. Uh, to understand the, the attack. Yeah, yeah. Well, to actually to, to make threats visible. Okay. Um, so I think uh, the, and this goes to your previous question, well, what can be done? Uh, it's really about, about uh, getting the basics right. The majority of mobile operators today have signaling firewalls deployed, but are they configured correctly? And the, this, this mm. isn't, uh, the GSMA have highlighted the importance of this additional element in their current security landscape um, report, which is deploying firewalls and ensuring that they're correctly uh, configured. Uh, and as to what the basics look like, of course, uh, and I do want to acknowledge the important efforts of the GSMA and ANISA actually, and repeated invocations to help address and draw attention to these issues uh, for years. Implementing GSMA guidelines on signaling security and interconnect security measures are extremely important but then you must build on those. Because mm -hmm. what is really counterintuitive for many is that uh, how, uh, how much an art there is in the mobile signaling attack state of the art, even for uh, legacy protocols. So it's about addressing that, in, that knowledge asymmetry um, that actually exists today, uh, getting the basics right and making life harder for attackers without mm -hmm. striving for perfect okay. security. Thank you. So money is always short, as we know. Mm -hmm. uh, that's also true for security and IT departments. So each of you, one security measure that you would say is the most important you see for the preparedness element. So what do you see sort of each of you would see as a sort of the most crucial element sort of how you can prepare for a disaster? I think you have a very, very clear set of KPIs, let's say along the entire chain of your network. And I think to, uh, to have monitored exactly this very, very, let's say, challenging list of KPI, uh, what kind of ever network we are talking about, mission critical, whatever, and so on. Okay, so having security KPIs in place and yeah. monitor them properly. Okay, what's the next one? <laughs> um, I think it's, uh, well, security is seen as a necessity, uh, a necessary cost, or it could be a, an enabler. A imagine monetization of security. You have to have it in place, but you can sell it as a service, okay? And then the, the third aspect would be um, someone who would enforce this uh, certain security measures, okay? Mm -hmm. So the government regulations, definitely. 
okay, security enforcement and also sort of seeing not security as just a OPEX, uh, but also as a sort of business enabler. I think Google yeah. was pretty good on that one, actually. <laughs> so I think you have a quite a range of services in that area. So, um, so uh, what I would say is only one word, zero trust. Perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a good point, exactly. So. Risk assessment and collaboration. And I yeah. think that's in part that is, is really important, especially in mission critical environments. And when I say uh, collaboration, I mean not only the industry and the customers, but only the regulators, that they work very closely together and come up with the right measurements if mm -hmm. an event yep. happens. Yeah, going here, there. Yep. Uh, a specific measure, and if uh, called to one, um, I would say implementing bidirectional filtering for mobile operators. In other words, not just monitoring inbound uh, signaling for potentially malicious or high-risk uh, traffic, but also outbound uh, yeah. signaling, which is a, uh, often an absent element. Why do that? Because it's vitally important that operators know their own networks, and that can help, in the absence of all else, quite immediately identify any bypass vulnerabilities, help them understand their exposure to the risk mm. and the state of the art of attackers, yeah. uh, and of course the risk of data leakage, which is the other side of the coin of yeah, mobile Yeah, I think that's a good point, sort of know when you lost data, sort of that you yeah. monitor what's going on. Okay, thank you. I think we have time for one or two questions from the audience and from the online community. So I must say I'm a bit blinded here, so you have to do some <laughs> There's serious one baby. question, but we really are short there. on time, so quickly, a quick, yeah. uh, quick question and quick answer from yeah. one or two of you, and then we need to wrap it up. Thank yep. you. Hello, sir. Thank you. Uh, I don't know, maybe you will take it as a note. Uh, some 15 years ago, I met Kevin Mitnick in one of the conferences devoted to the uh, InfoSec and he was giving us also the presentation about the technical part but the main, how to say, focus on his speech was devoted to the social engineering what I haven't heard. Maybe I missed something but what about this? Thank mm -hmm. you. Social engineering. Any quick thoughts? I can. The most social engineering you see today is SIM swap. Basically, you go to the shop of the operator and convince them you have lost your phone and then you hijack. Basically, you get a new SIM card and then via that get the one-time passwords to access an uh, email account. So, which basically means there need to be processes in place at the, uh, at the sales personnel. It needs to be educated and that's the most common social engineering attack you see today So in telco space. So, um, it basically boils down to training of people. Sounds like a good topic to ponder over dinner that is following this session. So yep. I want you to give a round of applause to Roland, Matthias, Peter, Piotr.